Well, when I came to the city of Troas to preach the good news of Christ, the Lord gave me tremendous opportunities. But I couldn't rest because my dear brother Titus hadn't yet arrived with a report from you. So I said goodbye and went on to Macedonia to find him. But thanks be to God, who made us his captives and leads us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now, wherever we go, he uses us to tell others about the Lord and to spread the good news like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a fragrance presented by Christ to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those being saved and by those perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a fearful smell of death and doom, but to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? You see, we are not like those hucksters, and there are many of them who preach just to make money. We preach God's message with sincerity and with Christ's authority, and we know that the God who sent us is watching us. Are we beginning again to tell you how good we are? Some people need to bring letters of recommendation with them or ask you to write letters of recommendation for them. But the only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts, and everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ prepared by us. It is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on stone, but on human hearts. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we can do anything of lasting value by ourselves. Our only power and success come from God. He is the one who has enabled us to represent his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old way ends in death. In the new way, the Holy Spirit gives life. That old system of law etched in stone led to death, yet it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory when the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old covenant, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new covenant, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new covenant. So if the old covenant, which has been set aside, was full of glory, then the new covenant, which remains forever, has far greater glory. Since this new covenant gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory fading away. But the people's minds were hardened, and even to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, a veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, then the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, he gives freedom. And all of us have had that veil removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him and reflect his glory even more. It's the word of the Lord.
Well, thank you, Claire, for that reading. I hope you all kept up with it. Some loads of stuff in there, wasn't there? Let me just uh, welcome you this morning. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. A special welcome to you if you're new or visiting us. If you'd like to find out a little bit more about St Paul's, do come and find one of us at the Welcome Area. We'd love to give you something to take away to read uh, or answer any questions that you might have. Um, Before I start, can we pray together? Lord, as we open your word this morning and, and read about so many deep things that Paul is trying to communicate to the Corinthian church, Father, I pray you'd open our hearts that we would know more of Jesus in all that we say, all that we do, in how we live, that our lives may reflect his more and more, and that we may catch a glimpse this morning of his glory. And we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. I thought with a passage this big, it would be probably helpful to give you a little bit of a guide as to how I'm going to go through it. Um, So we're going to start at the end and work backwards. Is that okay? So we're going to start looking at at the idea of covenant, uh, which is kind of a really important kind of theme in scripture. Then we're going to come backwards and look at the whole idea of if we're part of the covenant, the new covenant with God through Christ, that results in a changed life. So we're going to explore a little bit about what it means to be in the covenant, to have a changed life, and finally, what it means to smell like Christ. Now, if you're wondering what that is, then don't worry, we'll come to that at the end. It's not about bacon sandwiches or fresh bread and coffee, although I'm sure we can talk about those. But that's how I want to go through. So there's your little guide, um, and hopefully that will help you to follow through the kind of a sizable reading that we looked at this morning. But before that, I want to just give you a little bit of the context of the passage and of the letter and of the city um, that Paul was writing to. Um, The Corinthian church and the Apostle Paul have a complicated history. If they were on Facebook, it would be their relationship status would be, it's complicated. It's a difficult thing. um, Paul was the founding pastor of the church. He planted the church there. Um, The church had now grown to several hundred. It was a big church and it had a, a kind of significant influence in the city. Um, There were significant people who'd, a kind of, uh, a guy called Erastus, who was uh, the, what I think was the city works director, which is kind of like head of the council, who converted and was was kind of strongly contending for the Christian faith. And, And so this church, which was large, had a significant presence. The city of Corinth, when Paul arrived, was only about 100 years old. It had been destroyed uh, kind of previously, a couple of centuries earlier, and rebuilt by the Romans because of its significant position as a port. So you've got this new city with a big reputation, a reputation for being entrepreneurial, of being kind of cutting edge, of the place to be. So it was full of kind of up-and-coming people, starting businesses, you know, looking to make a name for themselves in the Roman Empire. And... And because of that, climbing the social ladder in Corinth was a serious pastime. This is something that mattered a lot to the Corinthian people. You know, to get somewhere, to be someone of significance really mattered. And this whole idea of grabbing kind of social status really affected the life of the church. Um, It affected their worship, their views on preaching, on leadership, their treatment of the poor, and their involvement in worship of idols. And Paul came against it like a ton of bricks. Paul came against this idea that we should, uh, that the Christian faith was in some way to be used to climb the social ladder, to, to gain a name for ourselves and to gain a reputation that would benefit us. Paul had nothing for that. He was not interested in that at all. And so as Paul came against that, that created tremendous conflict. 
And this letter to the Corinthians, it's the second letter we have in the Bible, but it may well be, um, I think it seems to be one of a group of letters that Paul had written uh, to the Corinthian church. Paul described himself in this kind of way as a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. I like that phrase. Paul would describe himself as a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. The Corinthians wanted a superstar preacher with recommendations from everyone, and Paul said, no, you get me. I can't preach that well. I'm not much to look at, but I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody, about Christ. Paul's passion, his simple kind of focus and goal was to see lives and cities changed by the gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus Christ. His hope and longing was that everyone would find freedom in that message uh, by following him. Paul believed that his gospel was good news. He believed it, he lived it, he sold his life for that fact. I think, you know, I agree with him. The message of Jesus is good news for everyone, uh, for the super rich and those high up the social ladder, but also for the poor and the destitute. All need Christ. You know, it's good news for the sinful and the despised. You know, we've looked in the last couple of weeks at um, the relationship between the Pharisees and, and those kind of left in society, you know, the kind of downtrodden and the down and outs. And the gospel is good news as much to the prostitute as it is to the Pharisee. I believe the, good, the gospel is good news for Mr. and Mrs. Average, just like me. I believe it's good news for everyone. Fourteen years ago, I became a follower of Christ. Um, it happened through an Alpha course. Um, I became a Christian after the second week, um, which is quite early for a lot of people. But my journey to faith in Christ didn't start on that course. I didn't suddenly decide one day, oh, I must find out about this thing called Alpha, which barely anyone's heard of in our town and everything else. It was a, it was a journey leading up to it. My experience of church as a young person wasn't great, and I wasn't that keen to be too close to church. But a friend of mine, who wasn't a Christian, he invited me to this youth group, um, which was fantastic, and I loved it. And I met this guy there called Ian, and Ian was the youth worker. And I'd met lots of people who went to church and everything else, and I had family members who were, uh, my uncle's a vicar, and so kind of, we'd go to church sometimes and, and whatever. But, but Ian had a different kind of faith. He was slightly out of control, I have to say, but that intrigued me as a a kind of teenage boy. I like the fact that he did things that nowadays you couldn't do because of health and safety. I'm not even going to go into the details. Suffice to say, um, have you ever heard of a kind of thing called tombstoning where you jump off a cliff into the sea? That was great fun. But we couldn't do that with our youth group. Now, when I was a youth worker, because we would have been in real trouble. But Ian didn't seem to mind taking us kind of on survival weekends where we'd only have, we'd, we'd be out for four meals. So we'd, we'd be there for sort of supper on the Saturday, or lunch on the Saturday, supper on the Saturday, breakfast on the Sunday, and lunch on the Sunday. And he'd only give us three tins of food and no tin opener. We had to survive. So I would barter with my friends for the best food and try and make sure I covered my meals because I didn't really get into the spirit of the thing. But, you know, the transport there wouldn't be in a nice minibus or in safe cars, but the back of a transit van um, with no seatbelts. You know, he was the kind of guy that I thought, this is great. You know, he was a slightly out of control Christian, but he lived his life with his faith in Christ out there for all to see. And as a non-Christian teenage boy, all I really was interested in was trying desperately to get a girlfriend, and I was terrible at it. Um, And in some way being popular, and again, I didn't do that well at that. 
But to see this guy who didn't care about being popular, didn't care about what other people thought of him, but he loved Jesus with all his heart, he was intriguing. And he really drew me to himself. And I used to spend time with Ian just because I wanted to ask him questions about his faith. I wanted to know what he thought about Jesus. It got so bad that I would um, volunteer to clean tents, Beef Weekend Church. This guy drew me back in. I would do what I just would call. You know, when Paul spent time in cities, when Paul spent time in faith, there, were Jewish, there was a Jewish colony there, there were Romans there, it was some importance to the gospel. And this is what grows. And the thing is, is that it caused such conflict, but ultimately it caused so many people to find faith in Christ and to see lives changed. So let's start with this covenant. What's Paul talking about when he, he, he compares the old and new covenant? This is in chapter 3, verses 7 to 18. Um, it's true, isn't it, that our relationships with others define much about who we are and who we're to become. You know, those we... You know, those we have close relationships with, such as our family or our spouse or our close friends or our children even, affect us deeply. They influence us and who we are. And it's relationships that have the power to change us. Rules and regulations can't change us from the inside, but relationships can. In this passage, in in this bit of chapter 3, verse 17 to 18, Paul is comparing two different ways of relating to God. And he uses the phrase, the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant refers to the law of Moses. So Moses goes up the mountain in Exodus and he receives the law uh, from God. And it's it's a legalistic way of relating to God. It's if you keep these rules and regulations... You're known as my people, and that's what defines you, rules and regulations. It was never intended to change their hearts. It was intended to define who they were. But the problem is, is that they then decided that the the way that we were going to connect with God is that we have to keep all of these rules. And the thing is, is even in the Old Testament, you see that God says you can't do it. You can't keep all these rules. It's impossible because we're fallen. We're broken. We, we can't make it. We, you know, Paul in Romans 7 says, you know, the thing I long to do, I don't do. I end up messing up and making mistakes because we can't do it. The law was meant to show us that we fall far short of what God intends and to drive us to the mercy of God. Instead, it became a competition. How good can we be? And we've just compared ourselves to other people. So legalism and law, rules and ritual and and regulations, they can't change us. Relationships are what change us. And the new covenant is all about relationship. It's about a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ by the Spirit. This wonderful thing called the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to show us, give us a glimpse, if you like, of this incredible relationship. And he invites us to join him. Because covenant is about relationship. It's about having a changed heart, not just being religious, not just some outward observance, but a changed heart. It's about having a new identity, because, and, and as a result of that new identity, having a changed life. So it's not about we live a certain way that then defines who we are, that then enables us to have a relationship with God. It flips it. We have a relationship with God. We're invited by Jesus. Come, just as you are. Anyone can come. Anyone who wants to can come. And I'll change you, give you a new heart, a new identity. And from that, you'll live just as I've lived. 
The old covenant turns it the other way around. So the new covenant is about relationships. That's what can change us. And listen to these words of Jesus about the kind of relationship that he invites us into. This is from Matthew chapter 11 and reading from the message. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Because we know trying to keep rules and regulations and laws is pretty exhausting if they're for a means themselves. Walk with me and work with me, Jesus says. Watch, your, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What an amazing invitation of Jesus to us. Don't be burdened by rules and regulations. Don't try and earn kind of my love, my forgiveness, my grace. Let me give it to you freely. Let me change you from the inside out. That's what Paul is talking about when he compares the glory of the old covenant, which was a good thing, but the glory of the new covenant far surpasses it. Far surpasses it because it's the thing that can change us. Relationships change us. A relationship with God through Christ is what changes us. And Paul says there's no comparison. The new far surpasses the old. Relationships always triumph over religion. Because religion just brings condemnation and a feeling of failure. A sense that we can never be good enough or do enough to get life right. And it can lead us to having lives of quiet desperation. If only I could be better than I am. But we are offered grace freely. We are offered God's love freely. uh, Because of Jesus' death... No more sacrificing anymore. No more hoping that God might accept us. We can know God's acceptance because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. It is God's gracious initiative. Jesus reveals his relationship with the Father, invites us to join him. When we join this covenant relationship, our identity changes. We are now part of the family. We are now known as children of the living God, of our heavenly Father. When Jesus started praying, our Father... The reason it was so radical was because the Jewish people defined themselves as children of Father Abraham. They couldn't call their God Father. And Jesus said, I've come to give an intimate relationship with God. Not something at a distance that goes through your identity, which is found in someone else. But you can talk to God directly as your dad, Abba Father. We know it means kind of an intimate term, daddy, really kind of close. We are invited to that family. And now that we're friends with God and in his family, the way we live, we take on the family identity, we live in the way that Jesus lives. We, it, it's unforced rhythms of grace. You know, I came to faith and I thought, I just, you know, when you're a Christian, you're supposed to pray, you're supposed to read the Bible, and goodness, I'm supposed to go to church, so I'll do all those things. And, and when I found Christ, I loved praying, because I was talking to my Heavenly Father. The Bible came alive, I couldn't believe I'd never read, read this book before. The gospel stories grabbed me. I loved church. I loved the family of God because it was my family. They were my brothers and sisters. And they welcomed me in and they loved me and they prayed with me and they helped me to find out what it means to be a disciple. It's about grace. It's not because we do it because we should. It's because we want to. That's what comes from the covenant relationship with God. No legalism. It's so important to get that. The new covenant says no more legalism. All about relationships. They triumph religion. 
So when we enter this covenant, what actually happens? I like to think of it in terms of a divine exchange. I I don't know if you'll find this helpful, but it it certainly helps me. Is that we move from, on the one hand, being sinful people. You know, sinful, dirty, we feel guilty, to being forgiven people. So we give to Jesus our sin. We confess our sin. We say, you know, I'm not worthy to be in this relationship, to be part of this covenant. But Jesus says, okay, I've died on a cross that you might be forgiven. And it might be that we feel trapped in addiction. We might feel a slave. You know, as Paul said, you know, I wish I could do what was right, but I find myself in these same old habits that I've kept doing. And Jesus said, where the, well, Paul says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. We might know what it is to be lonely, to be alienated, to be an outcast, to be an enemy of someone. Maybe even we feel we're as if God would, could never possibly want us to be in a relationship with him. And Jesus said, no, I've come to make you a friend of God. We might feel the future has no hope. We might feel condemned to just, this is what I've got. I had a conversation, um, Nell was having a conversation with someone recently about faith. And uh, it, I can't remember how it came up. It was just someone she'd bumped into. And their passing shot was, well, it doesn't matter because I'm just going to burn anyway. How tragic, heartbreaking. Because Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. No more condemnation. Life to the full. That's what we're offered in the covenant. That divine exchange, sinful to forgiven. Slave, free. Enemy, friend. Condemned, future. It's a whole exchange that we're, we're given through Christ. And over the last 14 years of being a Christian, I've seen bits of that in my own life. But, you know, for me, I find it hard to see change in my own life. Are you like that? We spot it easier in others, don't we? And I've had the privilege of seeing friends, uh, people I know, come to faith in Christ and see their lives changed. And for me, that's what convinces me that this thing is true. Because it works in their life. I had a friend called Tony. He's a builder. Uh, he and his friend, he and his mate Colin would do loads of building work for, uh, did some building work for us and did some building work in the church I was part of. And, and they built a baptistry for us in the church. And we prayed that they would get baptised in that baptistry. Out of uh, Tony and his wife and Colin and his wife, only Colin hasn't been baptised yet in that church. And I've seen those lives change from just normal builders who loved cash in hand jobs, bless their hearts, who now following Christ and leading and influencing their families. I had a friend, um, Neil, in Bristol, who came on Alpha, didn't come to faith at the end of Alpha, but joined my uh, life group in Bristol, and he was brilliant. And a little way on into the life group, suddenly he came to me and said, Chris, I think I'm a Christian now. I said, that's great, Neil. Neil was 50, he was a builder, had a kind of interesting life. He said, you know, I go to, I go to work now and I tell everyone about Jesus. They think I'm nuts, but I want to tell them about this God that I found. If it works for him, it must be true. My friend Jeremy, who uh, his wife was a Christian. He'd been around church for ages, but he wasn't a follower of Christ. But he was kind of interested. He just sort of used to come every Sunday. He'd sometimes help with the children's groups. And then all of a sudden, he, he, he did Alpha as well, actually. And, and, and he said, to, he described to me after he'd come to faith, he said, you know, Chris, it was like I had a jigsaw spread all over the floor. And all Alpha did for me was help me to find the right bits in the right places. And suddenly this picture made sense. I thought that was a great, great story. And Jeremy, I had a text just after we moved here um, from his wife Caroline. 
And Caroline texted me and she said, Chris, just thought I'd let you know, Jeremy gave his first talk at Youth Alpha last night. Tears came to my eyes. It was just wonderful to see that guy come to faith. Such a gentle, lovely man. Find faith in Christ slowly over time um, and what he did. You know, because when we join this covenant relationship with Christ, our lives change. And I want to finish with this. Um, Talk about the aroma of Christ. Back into chapter 2. Paul says... um, He says this, that um, thanks be to God who made us his captives and leads us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now, wherever we go, he uses us to tell others about the Lord and to spread the good news like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a fragrance presented by Christ to God. Paul begins by talking about God leading us in a victory parade. But it's not like the Roman victory parade, which was all full of blood and gore and, and, and kind of cries of military might. This is a ragtag bunch of people who've chosen to follow Christ, and Jesus uses them to spread his good news wherever, he, wherever they go. Wherever we go, in our workplace, our family, our streets, in our churches, we are following Christ in this victory procession that we've joined. And wherever we go, he wants to use us. You know, because our lives speak volumes to a watching world. We know that smell has a powerful effect on people. Um, when we tried to sell our house in Tewkesbury, we did what everyone else does. We baked the fresh bread and we put the fresh coffee on. And I hoovered for the first time in three months. And, you know, we just want to make the place smell great. Because people smell that and think, oh, this could be our home. You know, the idea of cooked bacon in the morning, the smell of cooked bacon wafting up the stairs in the morning, it's a great incentive to get out of bed. You know, as we worship God, you know, this whole idea of aroma is a, is a picture of worship in a temple. As we worship God with every part of our lives, we're changed. Um, and Paul says this, so what I want you to do in Romans chapter 12, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. And as we do that, as we live every bit of life for the glory of God, it smells amazing to people. They're attracted by it. Not everyone, because some people find it really hard. And they, you know, but I think Paul, when Paul talks here about it being a stench in people's nostrils, the Christian faith was a stench in his nostril for a while, but not for long. He came to faith in Christ. So even those who, re- who initially reject us or are repelled by us, if you like, there's always hope for them to find faith in Christ. And we pray that would be the case. But if we live our lives just outwardly, if we, we live, put our faith in Christ on our sleeves, if you like, people are attracted to that. I was having a conversation with someone else who did Alpha last term, and I asked him why he came on the course. And he said this. He said, you know, it was kind of time of life. I was interested in doing Alpha. I thought about it, but I wasn't sure. And it wasn't really utmost in my mind. He said, but one thing happened. He said, a friend sent me a text message and just said, we're doing Alpha this Wednesday. Do you fancy coming? he went, why not? Turned up, his faith came alive. Text message, really simple. Phone call, it's really simple. Just a kind word, an encouragement. As a youth worker, I had this little little kind of thing. I I believe that um, to get the best out of a teenager, you can get six months of incredible kind of, I guess, energy, vibrancy out of a teenager in school, in home, whatever, by an hour meeting where you just chat with them and encourage them. I think the power of encouragement is huge. Maybe we could do that this week. A little text, a little email. 
What could it be that we could do to spread the knowledge of Christ, spread the aroma of Christ where we might go? And to finish, relationship triumphs over religion. If you're burnt out on religion and looking for relationship, you're invited to join with Jesus. If you're struggling with sin, Jesus offers forgiveness. If you're struggling with addiction or feeling like you're trapped, Jesus offers freedom. If, you're, if you feel like you're alienated from God and from others, if your relationships have fallen apart, then you're offered community and friendship by Jesus. If your future doesn't look bright, you're invited to join the victory parade and through our changed lives, change the world and the lives of others. Why don't we stand? Because I believe Jesus wants to offer us that this morning. Give that to us this morning. Paul says this, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so, Lord, we ask, would you send your spirit and remind us again of your freedom. Come, Holy Spirit. Forgiveness. Freedom, friendship and a future are just parts of the benefits of the covenant relationship with God that we're offered. Jesus said, you can have all of me if I can have all of you. I'd just love to invite forward this morning those who want to give all of themselves to Christ to enter fully into that covenant relationship. I'd love to pray for those this morning who are burnt out on religion and looking for relationship. And Jesus wants to remind us again that we're part of his family. For some of you, you, you always feel like your aroma isn't very nice. And I mean that in the most kind way. You feel like you know your life doesn't have an effect for good on anyone. I think the Lord wants to encourage you today and to fill you again with his spirit, that what comes out of you would be his good news and his gospel. We're going to sing a song now um, to finish, um, but I'd love to invite you forward. If any of those things relate to you, please come to the front. The ministry team could come forward. That would be great. And we would love to pray for you as we sing now. Do come forward.